الجزيرة بودكاست It's comedy night in Beijing's Century Theater, a place that usually hosts classical music and opera concerts. Rising stand-up star Li Haoshe is performing in front of a packed house. He's telling the story about two stray dogs he adopted who are chasing a squirrel. Other people's dogs are adorable, he says, but his pets remind him more of a familiar Chinese army slogan. And here's the punchline. Forge exemplary conduct, fight to win. The audience bursts out laughing. Online, the joke goes viral, but for different reasons. Chinese authorities open an investigation accusing Li of insulting the military and issue harsh penalties for him and his management company. The authorities came down hard on Li and the company that staged the show. They were fined $2 million. Other comedians are now lying low, but they're not the only ones from China's creative community that have come under attack for pushing the boundaries. So, what will this one simple joke cost China's cultural scene? I'm Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Hi, I'm Katrina Yu, and I am the China correspondent for Al Jazeera English News. So, Katrina, we just heard a comedian who goes by the nickname House tell what I must say seemed like a pretty tame joke about his dogs. Um, (laughs) Can you... First, maybe just to help us unpack the joke a little bit, and then we can talk about how it exploded into a national story. So Li Haoshe, or House, was giving a stand-up show, and he made a joke about these two rescue dogs. And he said how it made him feel majestic seeing his dogs chase after this squirrel. Now, here's where he ran into trouble. This joke was recorded, and somebody put it online, and it went viral people basically found it offensive that he was using a Communist Party slogan that is associated with the People's Liberation Army to describe his stray dogs chasing after squirrels. So people took this interpretation and made a complaint that went all the way to the top. And it caused a lot of trouble, not only for House, but for the company that hires him. So this gets flagged, it goes to the highest levels, and there are some very severe punishments handed down. That's right. So this company, Xiaoguo Co., it's a really, really big comedy company. And people credit this company and its founders with really kind of making stand-up comedy the mainstream here in China. Now, stand-up comedy is actually a relatively new scene here. For many years, it functioned underground because of the sensitivity around joking about politics or traditions here. But I think the bigger consequence for House was really personal. First, what we saw was on his Weibo page, his social media page, he quickly posted an apology saying he deeply regretted it and he felt deep guilt that he was going to take time to re-educate himself. After that, his social media page was quickly suspended. His contract with his company was terminated. There's this organization in China called the China Association of Performing Arts. They then blacklisted him uh, and encouraged the rest of the country to boycott him. And I think the worst and the scariest part of this is China's Public Security Bureau. Basically, the police began an investigation into Lee because of this. 
Lee is now under police investigation for, quote, severely insulting the People's Liberation Army and said his joke had, quote, a vile societal impact. My goodness. I mean, as someone who has a dog that attacks squirrels with military-like efficiency, I, I, <laughs> I do really empathize. Right. That's an incredible amount of pressure on this guy. Is he still able to perform? I mean, is, is his career completely finished? So the government came down on not only House, but also his company. So I think it's safe to say that House's career is definitely finished. Wow. The main concern now is for his personal safety. Nobody has really heard from him. We don't know if that means he's been detained or if he's just laying low. This company, all its shows in Beijing and Shanghai have been suspended. It's been forced to also issue public apologies. It's been forced to punish its staff. All the people, all the personnel down the line, whether it's his agents, the people operating the venue, they were all punished in some way. In China, there's this well-known saying that you kill a chicken to scare a monkey. And this incident is reverberating throughout the industry, and it's very clear that House and this company are being made examples of. So before this happened, stand-up comedy was going through a bit of a boom period in China, not unlike what happened in America in the 1980s. I saw that clubs were popping up all over with names like The Comedy Bunker and Kung Fu Comedy, and comedy with a K, of course. You know, I'm, I'm laughing already. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you help describe the scene Right. So I wouldn't say it was so much undergoing a boom. I think it was burgeoning. This kind of comedy, this Western style, I guess, stand-up comedy is very new in China. Arguably, there obviously has been comedy culturally in China for centuries, court jesters in Tang Dynasty courts, etc. And then you have this thing called crosstalk, which has been around for at least a century, which is like two performers half singing, half making jokes and puns and teasing each other. It's the nation's most popular form of live comedy. Two people on the stage going back and forth between each other, somewhat similar to the Abbott Costello style. But this version of stand-up comedy, this is really new. This is like something that's only really grown in China in the last 10 years. Certainly when I first arrived in 2013, it wasn't a big thing back then. But we have seen, you know, more of those popping up. I think some of that is related to this Chinese-American comedian, Joe Wong, who gave this White House stand-up performance in 2010. My name is Joe Wang. But to most people, I am known as Hu. Which is actually my mother's maiden name. And then we had this one comedian, Li Dan, who started this company, Xiao Guo. And he also was one of the people behind this show called Rock and Roast, which was an online stand-up comedy competition. Hello, and it got billions of views online. And I think after this show, Stand-up comedy in China with that distinctly Chinese flavor, it started to be really mainstream, I guess. I saw that the Global Times, which is the state newspaper, described comedy in China focuses on people's daily life and contains positive and inspiring topics, which can easily arouse empathy. Um, Whether or not that's true, uh, (laughs) there probably is a slightly different connotation and uh, something more specific to comedy in a Chinese context. Would that be correct? Yeah. I mean, look, 
Comedy is an art form. It's a form of entertainment. And in communist China today, every form of entertainment comes under the auspice of the Communist Party or the State Council. Especially under Xi Jinping's China, we've seen this control over entertainment and culture. China has tightened regulations and rules across many areas of society. Technology, firms, education, media. Few sectors have been spared. The background is that Xi Jinping was himself growing up a big student and admirer of Russian communism. It's reported that one of the reasons that Xi Jinping believes the USSR failed was because they failed to control the narrative about their own history. And cue now Xi Jinping's China, where every form of entertainment and culture is very tightly controlled and supervised and censored. And there's this general idea that good content, good culture, good entertainment contributes to the wider Chinese socialism project. So there are some very strict rules that entertainment and culture must adhere to in China. So what about audience reaction? What was the reaction from the general public to what happened with House in this case? So it's always difficult to know exactly <laughs> yes, of course. what you know, 1.4 billion people think. We do know that in that recording, people were laughing, right? But obviously, it's comedy. It's hugely subjective. So we had people on one hand supporting him and saying, well, they don't really know what the big fuss is about. But looking now on social media today, after the fact, all I see are comments in support of what the government has done to penalize House, basically saying that he was out of line and this joke never should have been made and all the people responsible for allowing it to happen should be punished. I was talking to a Chinese colleague and asking them about this joke and what they thought about it. And they said, well, you know, if I was a soldier or my family member was a soldier and somebody was comparing them to a stray dog, that would make me mad. I would find that very insulting and offensive. So with so many red lines, what happens to the creative community? That's after the break. On the Inside Story podcast this week, fresh fighting in eastern Ukraine and more attacks inside Russian territory. Is the war entering a critical stage or just another phase? Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So, Katrina, a lot of people wax rhapsodic about the comedian's role in society, you know, their truth tellers, etc. But their job, first and foremost, is to make people laugh, which Mm -hmm. House clearly did that that night. But trying to make people laugh while also not offending the CCP, that is the ultimate tough crowd. And I can only imagine what effect this is having on other comedians in China and the future of comedy in China more generally. I think it's been pretty shattering and sad. It's had this huge chilling effect on the industry. For one, Shaguo was a huge company. It was kind of like the comedy company in China. And this fine was so massive, it's freaked a lot of people out, right? It's freaked this whole industry out. Comedians who I personally know, who have previously been very happy to talk about the industry, talk about their work, They've told me, I'm sorry, Katrina, I kind of want to lay low right now. This is not a good time to stick my head up. We also contacted over a dozen comedians in China, both locals and foreigners, for their reaction. 
The ones who responded said they didn't feel comfortable talking, even if we didn't mention their names. Katrina says there are risks to speaking out, and reportedly, a woman was detained for defending House. If there's a very small area of what is acceptable that you can explore as a comedian, then you're really limited in terms of the material you can come up with. And what it has done has shown that comedy can really be a dangerous business in China. It does strike me that China, as it stands right now, is kind of between two worlds. It's still in that communist past, but then it's embracing all this stuff from the West, you know, both economically and culturally. And this stand-up boom is a perfect example. You mentioned the teach a monkey by killing a chicken saying, do you think that this was the government recognizing this force coming in and just saying, let's kill this chicken before it turns into a giant rooster? <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind that they were making a, an example out of this person because this industry was becoming bigger and more influential. We have seen in the last decade the Communist Party really zeroing in on any individual that has any sphere of influence in China, be that Jack Ma, the Alibaba CEO. Jack Ma has fallen out of favor with the rulers of China. The billionaire is still paying the price for criticizing the Chinese state. Or an actor. China's best paid actress, Fan Bingbing, mysteriously disappeared from the public eye for three months. I think that's exactly what has happened with comedy as an industry. For one, more and more people are tuning into these comedians and watching them. And also it's comedy, right? Some of the comedians that I've seen, they say things that people think but don't necessarily say. So I think that's another reason that it's kind of rung these alarm bells in the eyes of the Communist Party. Mm. Yeah, and it's not new. It's not new for regimes to censor output, to censor things like comedy. What is different is that this government has tools at its disposal that other governments never had. And because the society is so online, everything is so controlled, everything is digital, I, I almost, I would say normally, oh, well, this is a losing battle. You're never going to stop people from making jokes and expressing themselves. But they do have the tools to do so. The party controls the Chinese internet through site blocking, topic filtering, rearranging search results, mass surveillance of web traffic, and self-censorship imposed on private companies. I mean, where do you see this going? Yeah, I think what's different is on one hand, you have this huge surveillance apparatus, right? AI-driven, you know, bots that quickly comb the internet for anything that is considered unsavory in the Chinese government eyes. And two, you have this authoritarian government, which is able to crack down and impose these penalties, you know, without a court of law, basically. Whatever the Chinese government sees as not correct, they are able to swiftly punish people for that action. And that combination is extremely potent, extremely risky. Forget about even making a career or making a livelihood. It becomes about personal safety. It becomes about survival. So stand-up comedy is just the latest cultural arena which is being targeted by the Chinese government. But it's not the only one. TV, film, literature have all had to deal with restrictions for decades. And um, the rules aren't always obvious. So I, I want to just go through a few of these restrictions and get your take. Um, so there's no ghosts or time travel themes allowed. Right. 
So in the production of film, there is one regulation that's called Article 25, and it has a list of things that are not allowed. So some of these things are, you know, pretty expected, you know, nothing endangering national security, nothing endangering sovereignty of China, nothing, you know, threatening the Communist Party. Okay, fair enough. But then you go down the list, and then there are things like no promoting of evil cults and superstition, and nothing that's promoting obscenity. And that, you know, those are pretty general clauses, but they're interpreted in a, you know, in a huge way. So, for example, like you said, no ghosts. So, you know, like Pirates of the Caribbean or movies that have people coming to life, that's a no. Even any movies with talking animals, like Babe, also a no. Ba-ram you! Ba-ram you! To your breed, your fleece, your clan be true! And that's in addition to all these movies like Seven Years of Tibet, or by the way, anything including Brad Pitt for now, because he was in Seven Years in Tibet. Um, really? Yeah. So in this, these creative industries, you know, there is just a huge amount of areas that you just cannot venture into. And it's not because people don't lack the ideas or the talent. It's because they have to work within these extremely broad limitations, which are broad on purpose, right? So art is supposed to be a whole spectrum. People are supposed to interpret, you know, the gray zone however they like. But the Chinese government has said, no, there's no gray. There's a black and there's a white. And it doesn't really equate to the most creative success. But I guess in China, they've written the rules a bit differently. And, and look, we know that Hollywood has been self-censoring itself for years to try to make sure that their movie is not one of the movies that is censored in China. I mean, we've seen a lot of examples about that. Which is how we ended up with Tilda Swinton replacing a Tibetan character in Doctor Strange. In Tom Cruise's Top Gun sequel, the Japanese and Taiwanese flag were allegedly removed to appease China. So Chinese censorship doesn't just apply domestically, it's also applying to international productions as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess like any creative industry, it's not about just telling stories, it's also about generating profit. There is a huge market in China. China's box office has grown to be the biggest in the world. But they have to, in order to enter China's market, play by the rules. Right, and you said that they're kept almost intentionally vague because then you can come in whenever you want, you can keep it fluid. And when the rules are vague, you can kind of just exercise your power at your own discretion. That's exactly right. And I think that's what makes it so scary for these creatives. I think that oh, in, in history, creativity often thrives with restrictions, like you had the Hayes Act in the 30s in Hollywood. Known as the Hayes Code. A small jury had the authority to review and delete morally objectionable content both in the final script and in the final cut of the film. And some of the greatest movies ever came out of that. Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, The Wizard of Oz, Citizen Kane, they were all censored by the Catholic Church. Is there an underground scene? Is there some place where this creativity can go instead? Hmm. You know, it's really interesting. I think what makes Beijing and Shanghai or, you know, a lot of these cities in China really interesting is that there is definitely, there is a huge amount of creativity, people with ideas, people with stories to tell, and 
there's a lot of talent there and there is an underground scene. So there are a lot of these ideas and no doubt they are flourishing in China as long as they're low key and not attracting too much attention. Once you become a big fish, that's when people have to be careful. So in a way, people become the victims of their own success. And if you want to be a big name, a big fish in China, you have to be seen as very friendly to the Chinese government. And there's no way around that. There's zero way around that. And I think the government has made so many examples of, of big fish, astronomical level stars. And the Communist Party has no problem making examples of them and illustrating their fall from grace. Because in China, the most important thing is that you can be big. You can never be bigger than the Communist Party and Xi Jinping. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Miranda Lin and Ashish Malhotra with Nagin Oliai, Amy Walters, Sonia Bagat, Khalid Sultan, Chloe K. Lee, David Enders, and me, Kevin Hurton, in for Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. This episode was mixed by Tim St. Clair. Alexander Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. <laughs>